Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of St. Lawrence and Holy Family in Duluth, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Dan Rhoda, and with me I have Father Eli Giske. How are you doing today, Father Eli? Good. Good to be on the show once again. Yep. Old faithful. <laughs> uh, yeah. How how's how's the week going? Good. Yeah, things are good. We are uh so with the renovation at St. Lawrence is underway. So yeah, it's kinda cool to see some transformation happening there. And uh we've been having masses down at Holy Family and everything seems to be going just good. So Yeah, I walked into uh just the church like the here at St. Lawrence this morning. I was like, Oh, it's it is coming along. Mm-hmm. So uh Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean I wonder how many people will come in this weekend and be like well, I didn't know this was happening. Like, well, we tried to tell you. We really did. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was one guy who stopped in yesterday and he's like, "Where's where's Mass?" And I was like It's like I didn't recognize him. So, it's like he probably was just like stopping by. I was like, "Oh, there's Mass here or something." But Yeah. yeah. Um it's just like didn't see the blinking sign outside that says <laughs> yeah. all Mass all daily masses down in Holy Family. Yeah. Yeah, but uh but yeah, so it's coming along. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, all daily masses will be down at Holy Family again next week. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, we got another week. Hopefully, things will be done by then, so we can. It, obviously, the renovation will not be complete, but it'll be ready then for the next stage, which is then we were are waiting for the woodwork to be completed and then installed sometime April, May, probably. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Have you heard from the woodworker recently? Uh, from Paul, he. We've been in brief conversation here and there, but nothing, nothing the last couple yep. days. Probably it's been a week or so or two two weeks. But he's going to send me some pictures. I haven't seen them yet. Though. Okay. I think he's probably just busy. But. Yeah, yeah. I think he he strikes me as a guy who really like enjoys the the carving part, and then like the administration side of things is probably more like, uh, yeah, <laughs> trying to keep up with people's like. Wanted to know or mm-hmm. wanted to know this little detail or that little detail. So, like uh, Jim Walner, who was doing the the construction in the church here, he had to communicate with him about a couple little things to make sure they're on the same page. And so he was able to get a hold of him yesterday. And it sounds like they got it all worked out. So, okay, yeah, good, good, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see it when it uh, when it does get installed. Um, yeah, we have some other things that are going on uh then over the next couple weeks um one it is a uh, saint blaze feast uh feast day yeah, next it's thursday next thursday uh so we'll be doing the traditional saint blaze blessing, blessing. Mm-hmm. with the candles mm-hmm. so and, we'll and then the following weekend yeah we'll do that after the mass on thursday for his feast day and then it's pretty typical to do it the weekend it's closest to so we'll do it after the masses on the fifth sixth that day, yeah, yeah, of February, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, for those yeah. who want, yeah, right. yeah, for anyone who wants, and uh, no need to to re- receive this blessing if if you don't want to be in close contact with the priest. So, and then uh, a couple a couple things that are coming up, kind of later in uh, in March, we're gonna start uh, start talking about. Here, one being uh, the parish mission, um, which that's happening 
that first weekend in March, just right after uh, right after Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just sent out some save the dates. So oh, yeah, all, right. all, all the parishioners should be getting those in the next couple of days. And then uh, we're also going to be start talking about our uh, our small groups mm-hmm. coming up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we I, I talked about it this past weekend in the homily. So if you really want to know more about it, you can go on and listen to that. Uh, homilies are on the website. Uh, but basically, we'll be having some signups coming up but next weekend. Not this coming, but the following weekend, the first weekend in February. There'll be an inf- insert in the bulletin, kind of saying, "Here's some information." And then the following weekend after that, we'll have some signups beginning. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of excited to see what happens with all this process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a kind of a long time coming yeah, yeah. Uh, for us. So, so yeah, we're really excited about it and about um, we have just the impact that we hope it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at our parishes, so. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking about uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. It is his feast day uh, tomorrow. So today's, today's Thursday. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, Friday, is uh, the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about his life and uh, just the impact that he has had in the church, why he's important, and, um, yeah, just uh, what we can learn from him uh, just in our lives. Yeah. So, um, yeah, before we do that, Father, would you open us in a prayer? Sure. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask your blessing on our conversation today. We bless also our parishioners and all their needs and intentions. We lift them up in prayer, asking you to uh, watch over them, protect them, and guide them. And we entrust them to Our Lady as we say, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Right. So, uh, yes, Saint Saint Thomas Aquinas. Um, so he was born in twelve twenty five, and from from what it looked like, it was like near Sicily, mm-hmm. in Italy, and like and I, I don't really know the Aquino actually. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, well, because yeah. well, that, that that is what I was, yeah, when I was looking it up, I was like, oh, he's named like that after yeah. where he was yeah. born. But yeah. it, it looked like that was like it's kind of near like Naples Sicily. Naples and Sicily and yeah. down down that way, yeah, southern Italy, yeah. south of Rome. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not familiar at all with the geography, so I was like, oh, it's yeah. Sicily, I, I've heard of that place yeah. before. Yeah, <laughs> Sicilia. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and 1225, like that, that's kind of like the end, at least in my head, and maybe this isn't totally right, but it seems like it's kind of like the end of the, like what we kind of consider like the dark ages a little bit. Like may, maybe that yeah. was a couple like. They would call that the, probably before, the but... high middle ages. So it's like when middle age culture, if you want to call it that, medieval culture was at its kind of peak in terms of like organization and everything. And you still had Christendom. It was before the great schism of, you know, three popes and so forth, and so there wasn't all that, and it was before the Reformation. So it's kind of like we're not in the Dark Ages anymore, but we're we're not in like the modern age yet either. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the midway point between those two kind of epics, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah. Period. So. Yeah, so it's kind of like a an interesting time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a a man who is very. Uh, influential mm-hmm. in in the modern church mm-hmm. and for i mean really all of just 
Catholicism. Uh, just the work that he did in uh, in his writings and in his like teachings, like he was just uh, he's a giant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a giant of a man. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, so he's he's a doctor of the church, and uh, yeah, he's known as the like angelic doctor, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, why 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 would he be called the like angelic doctor? Yeah, so I think this is my understanding limited understanding that it refers to he had such an ability to grasp things and see like looking at something and then to kind of pick it apart and say this is what follows from this so in some sense he kind of had an angelic ability because angels different from us they see all the consequences of a choice or they can see like everything kind of fall into place. They don't have to kind of slowly reason through things like we do. They kind of just see it and they're able to kind of, I mean, that's kind of how their intellect works. Whereas ours, we have to kind of ponder things, but he had such ability to grasp things and see things um, that I think that's why he's called angelic doctor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I studied at the Angelus or the, uh, over in Rome, you have, it's called the University of Thomas Aquinas in the city, but it's also called uh, the Ange, and it's kind of going off of his angelic doctor. Like that's the Dominicans they run that house, and that's the order that he was a part of. So, yeah, 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 and that's yeah, that's a, a good point that he was part of the um, the Dominicans, mm-hmm. which uh, the which order of preachers, yeah. yeah, the order of preachers, which I'm not super familiar with. Maybe them back then, mm-hmm. but I know now, like they're very, um, they're they do a lot of like teaching and educating like mm-hmm. currently, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of different orders. I'm just thinking about like, is it the Dominican house of studies that's in, in DC. Uh, like DC, yeah. which is like a, a big, uh, like place. If you go to study theology at a, mm-hmm. like a master's or like post, uh, just like bachelor's level, like that's one of the places. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Dominicans like, the Franciscans were mendicants, so St. Dominic started them not much before St. Thomas Aquinas was alive. So, um, you know, he was relatively new in, in the order as well. But um, but they, yeah, their, their charism initially was preaching, like going around and just preaching, and then it became more teaching and preaching. Um, and I would say that's still kind of what they hold fast to. Unlike the Franciscans, the Dominicans have kind of pretty clearly just clung to what they what their founded established because Dominic was more of a big ideas guy, whereas Francis was more of like a charismatic leader. So the way that they formed their orders was very different. And so mm-hmm. the, the order of preachers have, have kind of continued to stay pretty united and pretty on 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 task, if you will, um, with varying degrees of um, over the centuries. But but Thomas Aquinas Big, big name, probably the most beyond Dominic himself, probably the, the best known Dominican um, because of his writings, because of his just intellect and ability to uh, put into words different things. So one of his great gifts to the church, too, was taking Aristotle's writings, um, which were not really well known in the medieval world because they had kind of been lost. Uh, but then through the Crusades, there was a re-exposure because the the writings of Aristotle had been preserved in the East, um, even in Aramaic and so forth. And so there was translations of that brought to Europe 
uh, around the time of Aquinas, and he really kind of looked at this and said, oh, this is like the best of paganism. Like, this is the best, because obviously Aristotle was before Christianity, so, mm-hmm. but this is the best of paganism. This is someone who understands and reasons well, and so he kind of used that um, and kind of put it together with Christian theology to really uh, present some really awesome stuff. So um, the Summa Theologica is basically a, uh, a big tome of theology, and it's kind of been um, really important in the church over the centuries. As of late, Leo Thirteenth, Pope Leo Thirteenth, I don't remember exactly when he was Pope, but uh, early, uh, well, j- just before the 20th century, I think, began maybe, or early 20th century, he kind of said, we need to go back to studying St. Thomas Aquinas. So he kind of encouraged that. And so many seminarians, many priests in their formation are heavily exposed to Thomas Aquinas and his writings. If not the writings themselves, then like commentaries and theology that kind of comes from his writings. So, um, yeah. It's not like, I don't I don't think Thomas Aquinas was really big on like creating new things, like new uh, ideas or new um doctrines or dogmas like that's not what he's known for but he's known for is taking what was there and organizing it in such a way where it's all unified it's all together and kind of fits with everything like he's able to take all the different aspects of a human person the different virtues the vices um he talks about the life of christ he talks about all these different things he has biblical commentaries which are probably less known but i have some of them they're, they're really awesome like when you read them it's like Gosh, these are really good insights. So, well, I think what made him the kind of person that he, that is so impressive is that he was a holy man. He he had a deep prayer. He had a deep relationship with Christ, and from that, from his purity of heart, even he um, was able to just like the the Lord graced him with this ability to really expound on different things and really bring clarity. So, um, we didn't really talk much about his life growing up, but I think he had some brothers who were older, and originally his family, I think, wanted him to be like the abbot of Monte Cassino, which was a, a big church in the area, big monastery. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've heard of the Benedictines. That's where they, that's one of their first monasteries where um, St. Benedict lived. Um, so Monte Cassino was cl- close by to Aquino where he grew up, and um, so he... When he, when he expressed interest in the religious life, they were like, well, you can be the abbot of so-and-so. You can, because I think his family was kind of like, was like a minor prince or something. His dad was like a minor prince or noble yeah. or something like that. It seemed like they, they had some some influence. Yeah, yeah. So his brothers were more like worldly men, more kind of focused on like, you know, politics and the the typical things that, that men of that day would have done, whereas he was more interested in the religious life. Now, when he first started religion, seeking religious life they first were kind of like we don't you you should you, we don't have time for that you you got to you got other things to do so they they actually tried to pressure him to get married or even uh when that wasn't going they uh they actually brought a prostitute to his room and and locked her in there with him as a way to kind of like you need to get off this like preach god thing. preach thing god yeah. thing or whatever and apparently he grabbed like a hot poker and chased her out of there um and the the story goes that at that point uh angels appeared to him and fastened this like 
belt or on him, of basically a, a symbol of his chastity and so forth. Whether that's true or not, I haven't really looked into that. But, um, but just he he did have this purity of heart, and you know one of the beatitudes is the pure of heart shall see God, and so he had that ability to see God, to to perceive truth, and just kind of elicit truth and 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 pull it out and really uh, look at it and share it and put it all together. So I think you look at his life and that's part of why he was so profound is because of his holiness, his holy life. Um, it's not... Uh, these days when we think of a theologian, we don't necessarily connect that to holiness of life and so forth, but he was a, a great man of prayer and when he was struggling with something like he didn't understand, he would fast as a way to like, help me to understand this, Lord. So he, he had a profound desire to know and to sort of plumb the depths of, of God. And um, very fascinating to when you look at his life. And the amount that he wrote, I mean, I've heard different sort of statistics or whatever, but so he lived to be 49. And if he didn't start writing till I don't know, at a certain point when he could write, mm-hmm and he was a priest already, uh, you're probably looking at, you know, maybe maybe 20 years, maybe 25 or 30 years at the most of ability to, to be writing. And it's astounding, like, how much he's written. If you uh, look at all the commentaries and all the things, like, he has a commentary on Aristotle's writing. He has a commentary on, you know, different church fathers and... Uh, He's got the Summa itself. He's got uh, all the different commentaries on Scripture. Like, I don't know if he did the whole Bible or not, but you know, it's it's astounding how much he wrote. And they say, like, he would have scribes, and he'd be, like, having, like, two or three scribes at a time. So he'd be, like, talking to one about this thing, and then he'd go over to, on the other side of the room and, and say, like, this to this other one. So maybe that's why he was able to do it. It's because he had other people doing the writing part for him. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating, like, how do you have a mind that can like keep all that straight and then just expound on these things? Mm-hmm. So fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of uh, what made him obviously really popular. It is his writings, and uh, like you mentioned the Summa a couple of times, but I feel like that's kind of like his uh, like his most well known mm-hmm. work. Work yeah. is the Summa, and. Uh, I want to just talk a little bit about that because, I mean, I haven't, I mean, I've read pieces of it, but I haven't, like, read it. And I know we were talking a couple days ago. Like, it's not really, like, one of those books that you just start at the beginning and, like, go through. I mean, you could do that, but that's not necessarily, like... People have done that, but it's very difficult. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, but just even the way it's written is interesting because it's not, it's not necessarily just him talking about ideas. It's him, like... It's all Q&A, basically. Yeah, and he, he, like refutes the point first so he'll like make a point um like god is love or something mm-hmm. and then he'll like objections he'll he'll yeah he'll create objections and he and it's uh, that, that probably is part of what made him like understand everything so well is because he like actually thought through and challenged all the objectives he knew, or, he or knew both sides of the thing yeah it wasn't just an idea but yeah. he looked at all the objections and that's kind of how they were teaching uh that was kind of like the university method at the time in paris where he studied or where he taught was you'd have a question students would come with a question and then they would kind of the professor would expound on it in the class and so they would 
It would say, here are the objections to this question. Here, here's why that might be true or what might not be true. And so they would do that, and then they would give their response. But I say, and then they might, like he does in his in his summa, is he'll also give some, um, not only his words, but also the words of the fathers or the scripture or whatever that kind of reinforces the point. So it's a very formulaic way of addressing theology. It's it's what 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 are uh, here's a question. Here's here's some objections of why somebody might ask this question, and here's my response, and here's supporting evidence. So it's a very kind of irrefutable, like, when you look at the whole way he answers a question, it's like, well, okay, I can't really argue with that. You've, you've yeah. done all the work of, like, every objection I could think of has been answered. So, you know, it's, it's one of those ways. It's like a complete answer, you know, versus, like, the way we argue today. We don't do any of that. Mm-hmm. We don't think of objections. We don't deal with them. We just kind of turn our blinder. Like I don't want to know the objections. Like, you know, I just I just want to believe what I want to believe, and I'm just going to say something, and I'm just going to, you know, talk louder than the other person. It's like, so they had a different way of addressing things, and I think, in some sense, it's a more civilized, more intelligible way, and that's, I think, why the method was so helpful. It is a little dry, though. I will admit, like, you can read through and it's like this is all true this is really good but it's it's hard to like sometimes get through it for people mm-hmm. and so i think yeah there's been a lot of people who have written about thomas's writings like you've maybe heard of like the summa of the summa like mm-hmm. i think uh, what's his name the guy from from uh connecticut or whatever um probably have his books here uh there was one that was looking up yesterday but i can't remember who wrote it yeah i can't believe i'm forgetting his name uh He's got a lot of books. And anyway, I think he's from Boston College. Yeah. Anyway. P- Peter Kreeft? Yeah, that's the him. Okay. Kreeft. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so there, there are like, I mean, I mean, they're basically just commentaries on Aquinas, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, th- those are sometimes even good ways to like enter into his writings is to like, under kind of understand like what he's talking about and then you go in and write him like and read him and you're like oh okay that makes mm-hmm. that makes more sense mm-hmm. yeah uh, i once i once asked my professor at the Ange, how do you read thomas aquinas if you're just trying to kind of get the overarching thing because i can't i don't have time to read everything like the summa i don't have time to read the whole thing and he said just read his responses like just read his his like read the question and the response don't worry about the objections and whatever those are helpful and they're good, but if you're just trying to get the overarching thing, um, and this was the papal theologian at the time, so I thought if the papal theologian says that, I think I'll I can do that. So <laughs> that's kind of how I would yeah. would read it a lot of times when I had time was just kind of read parts of the thing because you might have like four pages of this one question and only a little bit of it is actually his response. So you can get through a lot of questions if you just kind of focus on what he says versus mm-hmm. everything else. So. Yeah. Uh, um, another another thing that is actually really interesting about St. Thomas Aquinas, and really kind of specifically with his Summa, is that he did get to a certain point in his work and in his writings where he was basically ready to throw everything away. Like mm-hmm. He's going to burn it all. Yeah, yeah. He, he said it was like straw. And, um, which is just fascinating too, because, uh, you think about how impactful it has been 
on the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's probably arguably one of the most impactful writings yeah, like, ever. Yeah, 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 outside of scripture. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's like, yeah, he almost just like burned it because yeah. he's just like, yeah, this isn't good enough. Yeah, so it's 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 uh, insufficient. It, yeah, which which I mean, it's funny to actually think about. It. Like, it's not finished actually. Like, mm-hmm. he never actually finished it. Right. Like, like he got to this point, and then like. I don't know if it was like his scribes or what. For the, the, his, they were his like, followers, you're his, not going to disciples, if, if you want to put it that way. Probably, yeah. probably most of, most of them were probably his scribes. Kind of finished it out. You know, I don't know if it was after he died or once he stopped or what, but they continued the project and and brought it to it was a complete thing. Basically, what they would do is they would go through the questions that they had left to a- ask and go through all his other commentaries and say. What has he said in these other places? And so they would kind of sift from all those places and trying to come up with an answer from yeah. what he had already said. So, yeah. 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 And uh, I just like from a like a human perspective, like how many times do we think that like whatever we're doing is like, ah, this is like isn't good enough Yeah. for for I, either like, I mean, either in our like relationships with God and just like our spiritual life or even just like in the world mm-hmm. even like on like mm-hmm. a secular level like whether we're at work or whatever like there's so many times this that worth it. like like why am i do like why am i doing this and even like even if we are doing a good thing or doing a good work it can seem as if we're doing uh, whether not not doing enough or mm-hmm. it's not good enough or we can experience discouragement or yeah yeah just even monotony of it like some some works are just what's called for is fidelity and faithfulness over many years. And we can get discouraged. It was just like, Oh, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep on. And so even Thomas Aquinas experienced that uh, mm-hmm. in a major way. So, yeah. 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 And I, I think that's just like encouraging from <laughs> like just a human standpoint. Yeah. Like, okay. If uh, St. Thomas Aquinas thought his like masterpiece was garbage, then, I can too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it can like be okay and I can get through it. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like an artist, you know, how, how many great artists look at their work and how are like, like they just, they just, oh, all they see is the imperfections mm-hmm. and like what they want to portray. They just can't quite grasp it because their idea or their image or their whatever is always superior to what they can actually make. And so I imagine there's something about that. Aquinas experience and, and is like I wanna I wanna put this tome forward that can really help people be formed in the faith. And yet after all these years it's like I'm still doesn't quite feel like it's right and then he has this vision of the Lord and experiences this union with the Lord in a sense and then everything that he's been writing just seems like worthless, like it doesn't doesn't do justice to God. Like it doesn't doesn't get close enough to who God is, and it's true. Like we can't fully describe God and so forth. We can't fully. We do the best we can with the words we have, but it's always insufficient. But thank goodness he didn't burn. Yeah. His work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody talked him out of it or hit it for a while or something. I don't know. I don't. Re- I don't remember the whole story, but yeah. Yeah, and and uh, you kind of brought up when, like God, like uh, gave him like this vision, um, but this is kind of where his like famous saying 
yeah. came out of, right? Mm-hmm. So um, was it that like the Lord appeared to him and said like, Thomas, you've written well of me. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you what do you want, basically? Basically, like, that's what the Lord said to him. And he said, nothing but you, Lord. So it was kind of this recognition of because that his that was his response because that was always his desire i think that's why he wrote so well of the lord he wasn't going for fame he wasn't trying to be selling books or something like that he wasn't trying to impress anybody he was just trying to from his own experience of god just trying to get closer to the lord and in a sense for him writing all these things the commentaries and everything was that process by which he kept plodding down that road of his own conversion his own desire and seeking of god was like through his writing i think i mean mm-hmm. to some degree i think you have to say that like that he didn't just do it because he felt obligated to do it but because it was his way of engaging this question of i want to know god and how do i know god so yeah fascinating yeah 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 it really is and uh it's a great like quote to bring into our everyday lives too it's just like nothing but you god like Mm -hmm. just just like having that um being able to have that readily available for our daily lives i think is uh is good yeah definitely has a power to it if we could just keep that in mind yeah (laughs) yeah um i think the last kind of point that i have before we close up is just um is uh something that i just read um when i was going through this book this morning so um i found this uh this book on in here in the library and it's uh, by joseph is it it's peeper peeper mm-hmm. peeper is a german philosopher um but he wrote like a guide to saint thomas aquinas and they're like his lectures but something that um i read this morning was that uh when St. Thomas Aquinas was going through like the canonization process, which one, it only happened like 50 years after he died. Uh, but, um, but also that it, he was one of the first saints that more of the conversation about his canonization, it was more about him as like, and, uh, as a teacher and as like a philosopher and a theologian, rather than just as someone who, uh, like, did miracles. did miracles like had big like um was like a missionary or or, or even just like a very like a started religious order started religious order like a pope yeah or, you know, yeah so he was he was like like again kind of like a trailblazer in some different ways because he opened up like an intellectual side of the faith that uh yeah that i think Maybe like paved the way for some of the other like mm-hmm. big intellectual uh, saints to come along as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it is one of his known for is just his ability to take everything that came before him and kind of put it all together in a piece that is understandable. You know, especially yeah. at the time when they didn't. You know, what hope did you have of like trying to study? the whole comprehensive idea of Christianity. Mm -hmm. You had to go to a monastery and search around for tomes that were copied centuries ago and who knows what. So 
to have somebody put together this way of approaching the faith um, was very helpful and continues to be helpful. Yeah, yeah and, and even when you think about it today, like even if someone can grasp an idea of God themselves, like that's powerful, but when they can actually share that with others, that's where, that's when it becomes like fruitful. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly, yeah. So That's definitely one of his gifts. Yeah, great. Um, well, yeah, that is going to do it for this week's uh, episode. Uh, yeah, I hope you guys, you know, got some some cool some cool uh, nuggets about yeah. Saint Thomas Aquinas. Um, By the time you're listening, maybe it, maybe it's the feast day. So happy feast <laughs> of Saint Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great. Well, yeah. Thank you, Father Eli, and thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we hope you have a great rest of your day. We will catch you again next time.